Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today is the first of a series of interviews with candidates running in Connecticut primary races on August 14th. Now, the 5th Congressional District is one of the races on the ballot after incumbent Elizabeth Esty announced she would not seek re-election. We'll hear from the Democratic candidates today, Mary Glassman and Johanna Hayes. Now, this note, we did reach out to Republicans running for the 5th District. We hope to have them on a later date. Now, do you live in the 5th District? What kind of candidate do you want to see elected? What questions do you have for our guests in studio today? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or on Facebook Live. Search for Where We Live. You can add a comment or question in the comment field below our, our video. Now, I want to welcome into the studio first, Johanna Hayes. She's a Democratic candidate for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District, was National Teacher of the Year in 2016, and she lives in Woolkit. Johanna, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Also with me is Mary Glassman, a Democratic candidate again for the 5th District. She's a Simsbury resident. And uh, for full disclosure, Glassman is also the sister-in-law of a staff member at Connecticut Public, Elizabeth Messina. And in her role with our company, Messina does not function as a news editor, reporter, or a talk show producer. Just wanted to put that out there. But Mary, welcome to the show Thank as you, well. Lucy. Thanks for having me. So uh, Mary, why run for this seat? Well, thank you very much for having me. This is a really important time. People feel that Washington is broken. And I feel that this is an emergency election. And that's why when Elizabeth Esty decided not to run, I stepped up immediately because the issues are so important. And as uh, someone who grew up in the 5th District in New Britain, uh, lived in Simsbury, raised my family in Simsbury uh, as a former newspaper reporter, as a former lawyer, and uh, as a public servant for 30 years, I felt that I have the tools to be able to go to Washington and make a difference for the people of the 5th District and be ready to go on day one. Uh, Johanna, sitting next to you. Uh, Johanna, you were on our show a couple of years ago when you were uh, uh, named National Teacher of the Year and you were on a whirlwind tour. Did you ever think you'd be sitting in the studio again talking about running for the 5th District? Absolutely not. This is not anything I've ever considered. But I think that national tour, you know, traveling abroad, coming back to my community, really has opened my eyes in a way that I'd never imagined. I have this heightened sense of obligation to step in and do what I have been teaching young people to do my whole adult life, and that is be a part of the solution to attack the problems in our community. This is an election about values, about perspective, and I think that there is a whole perspective that is missing and a voice that is not being heard, and I really am not so far removed from the challenges in the community that I forget what it's like. So I really think that, like Mary said, this is an important time, and my voice is an important voice. When you talk about perspectives, it's missing. Uh, tell us about what perspective is missing. Well, I think that I, my life and what I bring to this race and some of the challenges that I've faced and that I've had to encounter are still present, are still in our communities. You know, the challenges of working families, the challenges in our urban centers, the challenges of bringing people from different backgrounds together and coalescing around issues that are important in our communities, education. You know, in this state, we're dealing with an economic crisis. We're dealing with an opioid crisis. These are all things that I have had to face, you know, battle-tested challenges that I've had. And 
I know that many of the decisions that are being made do not properly reflect the people who are most affected by them. So I think that that's a perspective that I can bring with fidelity to this conversation. Mary, what perspective would you bring uh, to, again, this fifth district? Uh, uh, very, uh, the, the, the towns are very different, and uh, some of them voted for President Trump. This is not a, a, a hardcore blue seat. You have to appeal to uh, many people, including lots of unaffiliated voters. Well, thank you, Lucy. I, you know, as the first Democrat elected in Simsbury in 40 years, I know how important it is to forge partnerships to get results. And I think that's the voice that's missing. It's uh, as I travel across the 41 towns and cities throughout the district, a very diverse, very beautiful, very unique district. You know, people really just want results. They don't understand why we can <clears throat> work together locally and get things done, um, why we are able to get gun control reform in Connecticut, but not get it done in Washington. And they're very frustrated, and they want to see results. And, you know, my, my whole goal is to forge partnerships to, to be able to make a difference for people. Um, in my own district, you know, we have an excellent school system, but we had to stand up and sign on to the CJF case and to make sure that all children throughout the state have equal opportunities. Uh, as a kid growing up in New Britain, I, you know, my mom died when I was, my dad died when I was four, and my mom raised the four of us on Social Security and veterans benefits. So it's really important that government was there for me and needs to be there for everybody so that everybody has an equal opportunity to succeed and reach their full potential. You mentioned the partisanship that uh, we're seeing in Washington, but hasn't that trickled down to local politics as well when we look at what has happened in the legislature recently? I think we have a record of getting things done. I think I think that's where people are so frustrated. Um, in my own community, you know, we try to bring businesses to Connecticut, try to bring business to Simsbury. So we brought the International Skating Center to our community. But our local businesses were faltering. They weren't able to, um, you know, work together. And so we went to the state and said, you know, is there any help? And they said, no, there's no help. But we went to CLMP and we started the Connecticut Main Street program. And Simsbury is the home of the Connecticut Main Street program that actually has businesses working together, private public partnerships. And now that program is in 40 towns across the state. And I think that's the kind of results that people are looking for. I don't think they care if it's a Democrat, Republican, as long as it makes a difference uh, to the people that we represent. Johanna, how would you uh, battle partisanship in Washington? Because it appears there's much gridlock and it's become very emotional. Well, I think that my career and what I have done is really about partisanship, you know, about really reaching out to people with different backgrounds and different experiences and bringing them together. I don't get to pick and choose who comes into my classroom. I don't get to pick and choose which parents I deal with or, you know, which legislation I have to follow. I taught history for 15 years in a way where I had to teach kids to critically analyze the facts and make their decisions based on that. But just to your previous point, I think that there's an appetite for change. You know, we talk about what's happening at the state and local level. I mean, as a history teacher, I know the lessons that history has taught us. You know, I'm watching in 2008 when people uh, chose the person with less experience and said, we're looking for something different. We're looking for some different ideas. We're looking to do things and think about things in a very different way. And I think that we're seeing that over and over again. You know, we have to expand the definition of what experience looks like, of what our challenges looks like, and make sure that we're making decisions that benefit all people from all communities. And I'm not sure that's happening. But at the very core, what I've been able to do, and I've done this over and over again as I traveled, when people are reminded of things that are important to both sides. You know, when I had a conversation about education, 
It started with what's best for kids. Is this an education you'd want for your child? That's not a partisan question. You know, and I think that everybody can find some common ground. So I think if we start with where we are similar and work our way out, we can have some substantial results. Uh, you mentioned that education is not a, improving education is not a partisan question, but uh, in Connecticut specifically, we see lots of fights every session, fighting for dollars. Uh, Mary, you come from a wealthy district, and we, you know, the last couple of years, uh, Governor Malloy proposed that wealthier districts don't need as much state aid. Let's put more of that money into New Haven and Hartford and Waterbury. I mean, how do we uh, break up that, that, that uh, feeling of competition so that, uh, as a whole, the children in these classrooms are improving? We have an achievement gap. Has that improved? This is a global economy, and, and shame on Connecticut that we have the widest achievement gap in the country. And in uh, my work at the Connecticut um, uh, CRAC, Capital Region Education Council, and when I was an advocate for Connecticut Voices for Children, you know, we had to make sure that, that kids were treated fairly and had opportunities. And, and we're not doing a good job. We need to do a better job. Um, that's why there was the Chef versus O'Neill lawsuit, and that's why CREC stepped up to try to um, you know, integrate schools and make sure that all kids have a diverse education. But the federal government is chipping away at that every day. You know, whenever we go to sleep, we wake up to some new and frightening information that's attacking our, our families, it's attacking women, children, uh, the SNAP decision that has a direct impact on uh, the farm bill that is being proposed by Republicans, has a direct impact on the kids in our school systems. At CREC, our kids um, get free and reduced lunch regardless. Uh, the whole school gets free and reduced lunch. So there's no stigma so that everybody is, is coming to school and getting fed. But that could change, and you're going to introduce that stigma, and that's what we have to fight against. Um, it, it's just, as a kid who grew up in New Britain who had an opportunity for affordable education, we have to make sure that our kids are able to compete, not just in Connecticut, but in the global economy. Uh, before uh, we uh, continue our conversation, I want to mention to our listeners again, who's in studio? Mary Glassman, you just heard, a former selectman of Simsbury, a Democratic candidate for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District, also Johanna Hayes, who uh, lives in Wolkett. She was National Teacher of the Year in 2016. Mary is the endorsed candidate from uh, the, the state convention, but the, the vote was razor close. I think, was it two votes it came down to? And we're getting a Facebook comment from Betty, just what we need, new and young people in our political arena. Arena. Uh, Johanna is the newcomer. Mary, you've been in politics for some time. How do you answer someone like Betty who's looking for someone new who doesn't have the political experience that you have? Well, thank you, Betty. That's an important question. I'm proud of our Democratic Party of, of having new candidates in the races. I think it's important. Um, this, is, this is Congress. This is a really difficult time in our country um, because of my experience locally of forging partnerships, of creating opportunities, um, because of my uh, advocacy at the state level and my advocacy for children, um, the fact that I have a reputation of, of representing our community and working at the state legislature, um, of, of working across the aisle, of being strong and courageous, um, I can bring that creativity to Washington. And so I, I think people shouldn't um, mistake, uh, you know, experience for getting results. Because I think if you have a record of getting results, that's what we need in Washington. It's a complicated time. We need someone who has the courage, who understands government, and can really be an advocate uh, for the 41 towns and cities that we represent. This is where we live. You can join us, 860-275-7266. Don't forget, we're on Facebook Live, too. You can add your question below in the comments field. Uh, Johanna, we were talking about education. You were a teacher, I believe, for 
at least 13 years at the, the high school in Waterbury. Uh, when we talk about education, again, it's a, a lot of focus on the financial resources, but kids need more than just uh, money in the classroom to give them what they need. Tell us about some of the experiences that you saw as a teacher that you hope to bring to Washington to help the nation's children, especially here in Connecticut. Well, I think there's a couple things about that question. First of all, we have to look at education as an investment. You looked at the differences between a community like Simsbury and a community like Waterbury when we talk about education funding. Now, in my life, you know, I grew up in public housing. I was raised by my grandmother. My mother was an addict. The school that I went to had to be a good school because I didn't have anyone to advocate for me. So we have to make sure that we are creating educational opportunities that benefit all kids that the students who need them most, this wasn't a choice for me. You know, there are many communities and many families in the state that have a choice. If they don't like the schools that they're being serviced with or that are provided in their community, they can move out of that community or choose another school. For so many other families, that's not a choice. So we have to work hard to fight for those kids, to make sure that they are getting the funding and the resources so that they at least have access to the same opportunities. What I've done in the classroom is really try to engage communities as stakeholders, you know, to help people understand that you also have a responsibility for the education of children. Let's work together and figure out what this looks like, you know, and how to best serve students. One of the things I was recognized for as National Teacher of the Year was my investment of providing students with service learning in their community, with teaching them that you can be a part of the solution. You know, I have been a staunch advocate in and outside of my classroom for the needs of the families that I serve. Education is not a single issue thing. I can't educate students who are hungry, who are homeless, who don't have health care. So all of these things find their way into my classroom. And these are things that teachers deal with every day. When there's a story about immigration on the TV, teachers are answering those questions every day in class. You know, when things are coming about, about, about bans to certain groups, teachers are standing in front of those students trying to help reassure them you know, of what democracy looks like and what our constitutional values are. These are things and conversations that I've been having for my entire adult life. So we have to look at education in a much broader sense. How does it impact our communities? These are generational decisions that we're making. Are we preparing the next generation of young people, you know, to adapt to the changing needs of the economy? This is something that I have had a front row seat to. You know, I know what's happening next because I've seen the faces of these kids. I have had conversations with them. I know what they imagine as their future careers. If we keep looking at this country, you know, through a lens that is behind us, we're never going to progress. You know, I've been working with young people who are visionary, who want to see what happens next, who have this thirst and this appetite for a different type of country, a different type of democracy, you know, a very inclusive and engaging, you know, form of representation. To your other question, just, um, again, this is representative democracy. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a place. It's not just for the people who have long political careers, who have, you know, political connections and political relationships. This is about everybody having value, having dignity, having respect, being a part of the discussion, a part of the conversation, and having their voices and their narratives heard. That has to look different. You know, we've done this the same way for a very long time. I think there, again, is this appetite for people to say, is there the possibility that we can do something different, even at the federal level? Because it's not just, you know, we'll, we'll practice the skill at the local level and move on. We are making 
We are prioritizing legislation that will make generational changes for our children. You know, my, in my lifetime, I've never had to fight for a woman's right to choose. These are things that young people are worrying about. You know, in my lifetime, I've never had to write for uh, civil rights protection. I've never had to fight for that because it was already secured and protected for me. If we want young people to get engaged and involved, they have to be a part of the discussion. It can't be, you know, you sit at the kids' table, it's not your turn. These are decisions that are impacting them right now. It is our turn. If a, a, a parent has a child in a district that unfortunately is failing, the neighborhood school isn't doing well, uh, what do you think about uh, Betsy DeVos's position as education secretary that these parents should have vouchers to move out of that school? I have asked that question so many times, and our secretary, Betsy DeVos, makes a statement oftentimes that I want to move government out the way so that parents can have the right to choose for their children. And again, I ask, what would have happened to a child like me who did not have a parent to advocate for them? Isn't it all of our responsibilities to make sure that all of our public schools are as good as they can be? Clearly, there is work that needs to be done. But any measure that talks about moving public funds from public education, I would not support because we have to have a system. We are built on a system of education. That is what makes this country great, that we educate our young people and we take responsibility for them. I understand that many parents feel like they don't have a choice when they're in a failing school district and they want to move their children because they don't have time to wait for us to get it right. And as a parent, I get that. I understand that. So we have to have, recognize the urgency of need here and ensure that our schools are functioning and operating correctly. Because I don't think people understand that when the funding leaves and it follows those children, they don't get all the same supports. They don't get, you know, all of the necessary components of a full and well-rounded education. Uh, Mary Glassman, uh, your take on what we've heard from Education Secretary DeVos and how we can strengthen uh, schools that have been failing. Yeah, I think that's where we differ. I'm not, I'm not supportive of vouchers. We don't fund um, public education enough as we, as we need to. And I think that, you know, Betsy DeVos is slowly dismantling, not even so slowly, dismantling support for public education. Um, you can do things without changing laws and regulations as well. And, and you know, she's reducing staff in areas that um, that support public education. And that's really where the danger is. I think what we need to do is go to Washington and bring back more money to the state than we give out. We don't do that right now. And I think we also need to look at uh, education is not your parents' education anymore. It's not even our education anymore. It's a global economy. It's a global world. And we need to look at innovative and creative ways to make sure kids have opportunities. As I travel across uh, the 5th District, one of uh, my frequent stops is manufacturing plants. And the fact that we have 13,000 skilled labor jobs that are going unfilled right now in Connecticut. These are high-paying jobs. These are six-figure paying jobs. These are jobs that have great benefits, great opportunities for um, continuing education. These employers will pay their employees to go on to um, finish their education and get a four-year degree. And we aren't talking enough about that. In my work at CREC, we're, we're focused on getting apprenticeship programs, one of those federal dollars that can come back into Connecticut, and making sure that you know, not just high school kids know there are apprenticeship programs available, but seventh grader, eighth graders, fifth graders know that these opportunities exist to change your life. A job changes your life. Education changes your life. And we need to do a better job making sure that we have equal access no matter where you live in Connecticut. Uh, coming we'll up, see, just for a point of clarification, I'm not supportive of vouchers either. I don't think I said that. I said any, any um, measure to remove public funds from public education, I would not support. 
So I am not supportive of vouchers. I'm a teacher. Education saved my life. Public education saved my life. I am not supportive of vouchers. So coming up, we're going to talk more about uh, your proposals to bring jobs back uh, to Connecticut and what you're hearing from 5th District uh, constituents. But I did want to ask you, 2018 has been called the year of the woman. Obviously, we have uh, two women running uh, for uh, the the Democratic primary. I know there's a third woman who's trying to petition her way onto the ballot, uh, Shannon Kula. Um, You know, you're taking, uh, you're looking to take the seat of a woman, uh, the incumbent, who uh, many people respect. Until earlier this year when uh, reports came that she mishandled a sexual harassment complaint in her Washington office. I wanted to ask you uh, both, I'll start with you, Johanna, how would you have handled that situation differently? Well, I think that when you start with just valuing people, I think this is the year of the woman and there are so many issues that are coming up surrounding gender equity and, you know, women's place in the workplace. You know, I've come up in a situation where I've always been in the margins. And sometimes when you're in a job, you hold your head down, you just try to make it along every day, but you should be able to walk into a job and feel comfortable reporting a situation like this. I mean, no is a complete sentence. It does not require an explanation. We have to make sure that workers feel protected. We have to make sure that young women who are going into these federal jobs, who are working you know, as part of our government as interns and in different capacities, feel protected. And when they do report these things, we have to act on them, even when it's politically unpopular. You know, I have been a person who have spent my life acting, advocating, speaking out, even when it's unpopular. You know, we have to make sure that young people are protective. How would I have done this differently? I would have addressed it right then and there, you know, and I know that We've had a lot of conversations about we could have done this, we could have done this, but I would have addressed it right then and there. You know, the staffers should have been addressed. And I don't know all the ins and outs of this situation specifically, you know, what happened with Congresswoman Esty, but there has to be, and she's talked about it afterwards, there has to be something in place. There has to be policy in place where on the Hill, in D.C., in our local and state offices, when an issue like this comes up, it is addressed immediately. Mary Glassman. So... Absolutely. Um, there are only 19% of Congress's women. And so it was really disappointing when Elizabeth Esty announced she wasn't running. And it was particularly disappointing that it was a sexual harassment situation that forced a woman to not run for re-election. It's, it's very important. That's why I stepped up. I think, Were you disappointed <coughs> in her and how she handled it? I was disappointed. Absolutely. And I think we need to create a culture of transparency and a culture of respect. And I think it goes to the fact that you have to create that culture before you have a problem. And as a chief elected official, I was in office for 16 years. I managed 150 employees. And it starts with training. It starts with a diversity awareness, sexual harassment training. Uh, we've already done sexual harassment training of our campaign staff. It's very important to set the, the ground rules and to begin a culture. And I think what happened was pos- primarily because a culture of uh, being able to go into your boss's office and say, I have a problem um, and you need, to, you need to fix it wasn't there. Um, and the fact that it erupted to such a point where it wasn't handled immediately. It wasn't really handled in respect to the victim. And so I think we are we who are in power, we who are bosses, we who work for bosses, employees, we all have a role to play in making sure that the culture is is inclusive and transparent. And I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, I ran a constituent office for 16 years. Um, I had a very good relationship with my employees, never had a complaint filed against me. And we need to take that culture to Washington and have those conversations and make sure that we don't tolerate 
uh, it starts, it's, it's chipping away. You know, it didn't happen. These things don't happen overnight. They're, they're results of, of slow and, and incremental changes that are happening in the workplace. And you need to stop those immediately. And uh, I think that's, that's one of my strengths as I go to Washington. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. In studio with me today, uh, two of the Democratic candidates running for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District, Simsbury resident Mary Glassman, also Wilkett resident Johanna Hayes. We're going to talk more with them after the break. We want to hear from you, too. Do you have a question for them? Join us, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook Live. Search for Where We Live. And you can tweet us, too, at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. If elected, Johanna Hayes could be the first African-American woman to represent Connecticut in Congress. But first, she must beat Simsbury resident Mary Glassman in the primary. And Glassman is no stranger to politics. Do you live in the 5th District? Is political experience more important to you when deciding on a candidate? Do you think it's time to elect a political newcomer to Congress to represent you? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Also on Facebook Live. Search for where we live, and you can ask your question in the comments below the video. I wanted to take a call from a listener now. Susan's calling. Susan, go ahead. Hi. Um, I have a question for both of you. I'm one of those unaffiliated voters. Um, my big issue right now is the economy because um, jobs are leaving the state, people are leaving the state, and I think all the social programs and everything we're talking about really don't matter if there's no people in the state. Mm-hmm. So I want to bring up a name, Erin Stewart. Um, what I like about her is she works with anybody across the aisle to bring jobs to her city. Um, that new innovation park, I guess, with she's worked with the Republicans, with the Democrats, to bring jobs to New Britain. Um, that's what I'm looking for. So my question to both of you is, what do you think about the economy? It's what are you going to do if elected in Washington to do what the southern states do and get us our fair share of government um, money and industry and the tax environment to bring companies back to Connecticut and not be partisan. We are losing jobs. We need somebody like Mayor Stewart, who's young, who doesn't care. And again, I'm unaffiliated. What I care about is my state's emptying out. We don't have jobs. And the social stuff is all great, but when if there's nobody here, if there's no tax base, it doesn't matter. So what are you going to do to get Washington to bring jobs back to our state and do what the southern states have been doing for the last 30 years, and they're basically eating our lunch? Thank you. Susan, thank you uh, for your question. I'll start with Johanna. Thank you, Susan, for that question. I understand completely what you're talking about. You know, I am a person who really understood and recognized that working a good paying job was critical to getting my family, you know, online, to getting my family in a place where I could support them. So social mobility is really important. If you are not investing in our economy, you're taking away from it. You know, I used to tell my young people all the time, you know, things like that. But what I think we need to look at is you know, what are the changing needs of our economy What are and adapt accordingly? When I talk to young people, you know, when I talk to people in my communities, they're talking about jobs that haven't even been created. We have to really look at, you know, what types of jobs do we have here? Do we have skilled workers who are trained? You know, I'm in 
at the high school level. We have so many kids who graduate high school but do not go on to college because they're looking for jobs. They have to help support their family. So we have to make sure that those jobs are available for them. And like Mayor Stewart, I would have no problem with working across the aisle. Republicans can have good ideas. Independents can have good ideas. I think when you take the politics out of it and you say, what is best for this community? What is best for this state? How can we make sure that we're bringing money back to create jobs that have to do with clean energy, you know, jobs that have to do with rebuilding our infrastructure? You know, I know what it's like to live in a community and not have an automobile. So we have to have, you know, some transportation infrastructure so that people can get to these jobs. You know, there are so many things that go along with, it's not just the economy. It's making sure that we have, you know, affordable housing in place so that we can attract people to the state, making sure that we have thriving communities so that people want to stay here. I see so many young people leaving the state after graduation and moving and living in different states. We have to make Connecticut attractive, make sure that they're trained for the jobs. And then, you know, as the economy changes, make sure that people are retrained. You know, we have so many people that have worked in the same industry for 20 and 30 years and are fearful of if this plant closes, I will be employed. You know, education and not just higher education, but, you know, skills training, you know, career training, all of the things that will adapt and change to to the economy that is coming, not the one that we've known from 25 years ago. Mary. Thanks, Susan, for that question. As I travel around the state, I think the economy and jobs are the number one question that I'm asked. And as a kid who grew up in the hardware city capital of the world in New Britain, uh, as you drive around, you know, the empty manufacturing uh, buildings, uh, it's, it's, it's reminds us that we need an innovative economy. You know, in, in Connecticut, we have tremendous opportunity to leverage local, state, and federal dollars. And I don't think we're doing that enough. Um, as I said earlier, we're not bringing, bringing back more money than we're giving to the federal government. We're not leveraging and bringing local, state, and federal officials together to try to focus on some of the opportunities, like manufacturing in, in New Britain, in Waterbury, in Thomaston. As you travel around the state, there's a tremendous, as I said, need for skilled labor. And yet we have a disconnect with our education system. We don't have programs. I think Colchester, uh, the town of Colchester has a program in the state, the only one that you can get a two-year college degree in manufacturing when you graduate high school. That should be an opportunity all in schools all across Connecticut. Uh, Transportation is another area. When I represented, um, when I was chair of the Capital Region Council of Governments, we found that the bus schedules were an impediment to people being able to get fr- from their homes to their jobs. So we just did a simple thing of changing the bus schedules and allowing people to get to work earlier and get to work on time. It didn't cost anything. It didn't, it didn't require any change in law or regulation. It was just thinking about people and connecting them to the jobs they need. So we have those tremendous opportunities. Think about Connecticut, halfway between New York and Boston. Tremendous opportunity, and we're seeing with the new train system, being able to get to those financial centers quickly will transform our state and transform our housing. But housing is also a key component. If people can move here, if they can live in affordable housing, if they can have access to jobs, and we need to do a better job of, of touting our successes. I was just, uh, yesterday I was just uh, walking through and touring University of Connecticut and their new innovative technology hub where they're bringing in uh, innovators and technology um, to, to invent new patents and bring new businesses to Connecticut, home-based businesses, tremendous opportunities for growth. Um, 
I visited a company in Avon that started with two employees and now has offices all over Connecticut and all over New England. So there's tremendous opportunities. I think it. I think as a as a congresswoman, you can go to Washington and bring back those federal dollars for apprenticeship programs, for transportation funding, for housing, for education, and really leverage what we have. We're not going to get more money. We're not, we just have to be smarter and creative and leverage the local, state, and federal opportunities to make a difference. We hear often from uh, members of our uh, Connecticut's congressional delegation about uh, the need uh, to bring uh, contracts, especially to uh, Connecticut's defense manufacturers, but not everybody supports that because uh, they don't support the uh, military-industrial complex. And you just mentioned there are other industries that Connecticut should be trying uh, to foster. Uh, Johanna, what are some other industries besides just manufacturing that Connecticut should try to tap into uh, to bring these new jobs that are well-paying jobs that keep young people here? Well, when you talk to young people, you begin to learn what they're interested in. And technology, obviously, is a huge industry. Healthcare, you know, lots of healthcare manufacturers, you know, people who create the machines, the equipment. I have seen young people who are reading blueprints and doing 3D printing and, you know, all of these things, we're looking at, you know, an age-old model of what manufacturing looks like. As computers begin to take over and things begin to change, there are still jobs out there. We just have to look at what are those jobs, you know, and tap into the skills that young people already bring. Tap into the experiences that they already have. You know, you hear so many people talking about the, the contrast between brick-and-mortar stores and online marketing. Train, train people to begin to use those online markets, to adapt and change as the economy changes, you know, to try to turn the clock back 100 years to say this is how it was and this is how it should be, as opposed to seizing the opportunity to move forward, to engage people, to help, you know, with precision make these industries better, you know, to, to figure out what is the direction that we are trying to go. You know, you talked about uh, military spending and a lot of the companies I know the big push is preserving and maintaining the jobs of those employees. How about we begin to look at, is, are there ways to retrain them so that as, you know, these industries shift, that these people will still have jobs? I think that's the greater um, concern. Will these families have jobs? You know, will their futures be protected? Will these people be, still be employed? I think they can be employed. There's so many. This is a state that has so many natural resources. You know, we have a tremendous amount like Mary said, in a city like Waterbury, you have so many um, factories that are closed up. You have places all over the state where the same thing, where factories have shut down. Let's bring new industries into those factories. You know, maybe we're creating something different, but people still have jobs. So I think that this idea that we're going to make things the way they used to be is really to our peril as opposed to looking ahead and saying, where do things need to be? Let's get on, uh, ahead of the curve. You know, let's bring innovation, technology, healthcare, all of these things, not just higher education, but careers to this state. This is where we live. Johanna Hayes and Mary Glassman are both in studio, uh, two Democrats uh, vying for uh, the primary win on August 14th uh, for Connecticut's uh, congressional district, fifth congressional district race. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. John's calling from New Britain. John, go ahead. Um, uh, first, I would like to applaud Johanna's uh, dedication to education. But I, I would like to say that we can't afford on-the-job training when it comes to our congressmen. I think everyone should get involved in politics to start at the local level and learn 
the game of of government and politics better before we send you to Congress. We we learned that with with Donald Trump. The fact that you have no experience sounds appealing. Turns out to be a disaster, and I don't think we as Democrats should do the same thing. Thank you, uh, thank you John, for uh, your call. Johanna, do you want to respond? I do. <clears throat> well, first of all, I'm not interested in playing a game. I think that our democracy is about all people coming to the table. And when you mentioned Donald Trump, Donald Trump, the difference between him and I is not the experience piece because I don't think anyone can dismiss the fact that he is getting things done. He is passing legislation. He is passing, you know, administrative um, authority. He is bringing Congress together and voting on things that he wants passed. The problem is he has no moral compass which is what I know I have. The problem is he doesn't care about what happens to the people, you know, in our state and the people at the local level. So it's not like he's sitting there with a lack of experience not doing anything. He's doing exactly what he said that he would do. But then the other thing about political experience, I want to caution people about um, mistaking activity for achievement. You know, there are lots of people who have been in this arena and have been doing this job for a very long time and have been very active. But as far as achievement, what have they really done to change the lives of people in our communities, all people in all communities. You know, this 5th District is a dynamic and a diverse district. Have we really had people who consistently have fought for all people, who have bought the issues that are prioritized the issues of everyone in every community? The way our government was set up was very intentional so that everybody would have a voice at the table, so that it would be representative. Our Connecticut delegation right now We have some experienced legislators. We have people who have been sitting in these positions for a long time. Our um, congressional leaders, our federal leaders, these are not anointed or appointed positions. You don't have to work your way up with a long history. It's about new ideas, old ideas, veteran perspectives, different backgrounds, different walks of life, all coming together and coalescing around each other. There is something that I can speak to with fidelity that's not there, that deserves to be there that belongs there. So to say that because you haven't done this for 25 years, you don't get to talk or you don't get to help or you don't get to to be a part of the conversation, I reject that. And I think that so many other people do and we're seeing that around the country. Uh, Mary Glassman, uh, again, uh, that was John's perspective, but there are Democrats, and especially with when you look at how close the, the delegate vote was, that thought, you know, let's bring on a newcomer, but you're someone who's been uh, in politics. You even ran as lieutenant governor uh, before, as, as well as a longtime selectman of Simsbury. Yeah, thank you, Lucy. And I, thank you, John, for that question. I, I'm proud of our, our, our Democrats that have uh, new candidates stepping up and having an important conversation. For me, going to Washington, I've never been in Washington. I've never served in Washington. The only time I've gone to Washington when, when I brought my kids to tour and, and you know, visit the, the sites. So I'm in this race because I understand how government works and I understand how to leverage local and state government. And I have had results. I have stood up for equity and education. I have stood up for regional cooperation. And I'm ready to go to Washington because of my background. I, I, I'm really proud of my reputation. I'm proud that... I understand how the immigration laws in Washington affect the police departments all throughout the 41 towns and cities. I understand that when um, immigration laws are are manipulated and policies change and we ask our police department to enforce uh, what ICE does, I understand the local impact of that. I understand that you put police in in a difficult situation of no longer being friends with their community, that now they have to enforce federal law 
in the absence of federal government doing their job. I understand bad government. I understand when, when you have a change in policy and interpretation. As a congresswoman, you can't. You have to legislate really hard to change interpretation. And we're going to have to be more aggressive and smarter in how we change these laws and write these laws. Because the separation of families right now that we're seeing in, in our immigration, it's not a change of law. It's just a change of interpretation. And if we fill a Supreme Court vacancy before we reunite families, then shame on us as a country. Oh, you brought up immigration. I did want to get your perspective. I mean, so often uh, politicians and the media focuses on uh, the people entering this country at the southern border, but our whole immigration system needs reform. What are some other, and you, you have mentioned in your, your bio that um, you're the child of immigrants. How can we reform our immigration system to make it fairer and not punitive, which is what we're seeing right now under the Trump administration? Yeah, but- my family came here for a better life. I'm a product of, of an immigration policy that allowed our family to come here from Italy and from Eastern Europe and to have a better life. And I was, my brothers and I were the first in our family to go to college. So I know that education can change your life. A job can change your life. And I know that that's why people are trying to come here. What really frightens me is that this immigration policy is attacking women and children first. And it's a failure of a federal policy on the federal level. And in in absence of that, you're leaving towns and cities to interpret federal legislation in their own way. I was just at a forum in Meriden. Uh, Councilman Castro is taking a leadership role of a bipartisan resolution to support a woman, Nellie, from Ecuador, who now has a stay and is, is, is waiting to see if she can stay in this country. They have families living in churches, living in churches for since October because of a failed federal immigration policy. So we need to have safe borders. I, I think that the conversation gets manipulated when Democrats are painted as, as wanting to have open borders and, and no regulation and no process. It's the opposite. We want a process that's reliable, that's stable, that's humane, that's fair, that's civil. And I think that's our obligation to do that. And I don't think that towns and cities should be forming federal policy um, by deciding to be sanctuary cities or signing MOUs with the federal government. No, it's time for us to stand up as a nation and to, to create a policy that people know under which circumstances they come here, under which circumstances they can't stay, but to slow walk applications and to reduce the number of judges that slows the process down and to separate families and put children in cages and not be able to reunite families. I mean, you, you check your coat at a door, you get a ticket, and you, you, get, you get your coat back at the end of the night. We don't have a way of getting these families back together. There's no mechanism for making sure that children and babies can be reunited to their, for their families. And we need to step up. Uh, Johanna, uh, there has been gridlock in Washington on immigration reform for decades now. What are some of your proposals to try to reform the system? Well, I think we have to think about you know, most of the people who are coming are seeking asylum. You know, this is a country where we're built on our diversity. You know, 100 years ago, if we were having this conversation, it would be a ship uh, floating towards Ellis Island. This is where people come for a better life. I understand the impact of bad government. But some of the things that we need to do is create a clearer pathway to citizenship. You know, we hear a lot about chain migration. You know, but the, under our current system, you have to be uh, sponsored by someone in your immediate family. So now, you know, we're changing the language and the, perspe- the perception of what that means. That's the system that we have. So if we want to make it where 
people can come, they can fill out the paperwork, then we need to create a clearer pathway, one where, you know, immediately we can begin to hear these cases in court before judges and not just make snap decisions that separate families and turn people away at the border, where when we have situations where there is an urgent urgency of need, where people's lives are in danger, that we address them immediately and put them on the pathway to citizenship. And we have to do this in a humane way. You know, I am all for securing our borders. You know, my children, my family, you know, I think about the day I felt after September 11th. So securing our borders is very important. I get it. But that, that security has to align with our values as a nation, with our constitutional values, with those democratic values that we hold dear. And that is that we are a country that values diversity, that values people and the differences that they bring. So we have to create a system that is inclusive and welcoming of that diversity and not a sharp contrast to what is happening now with our current policy. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Johanna Hayes and Mary Glassman are in studio today, two Democrats vying for the Connecticut's 5th Congressional District uh, seat in the primary on August 14th. Coming up, uh, we're going to do a lightning round, and we want to hear from you, too. 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Mary Glassman and Johanna Hayes are in studio with me today, also on Facebook Live. Just search for where we live as we talk to them about why they're running for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District race. And this note, we do hope to have uh, the Republican candidates are running for the 5th District uh, on a future show. Uh, I wanted to read a tweet from Sean. And Mary, I want to start with you with this. Uh, Sean writes, Connecticut's families and economy are dragged down by a high cost of living, with housing costs being the greatest weight. 200,000 Connecticut families spend more than half their income on housing. Uh, what housing policies uh, can help these families prosper? That's an important question, and thank you for that. You know, we need to have affordable housing to supply our workforce and to have, bring diversity to our communities. Some of the things that I did when I was in office was to bring workforce housing to our communities that are on uh, transportation hubs so people can get to work. Another uh, opportunity that Connecticut is, is really is innovative is housing for disabled individuals that have supportive housing, that have ability to be able to um, live independently. And that's another thing I'm very proud of. Um, we need to make sure people have an affordable wage so they can afford housing. That's really important. Um, there are organizations like Journey Home that have I, I was sat on the board of that would focus on reducing homelessness by making sure people have access to health care. You know, a lot of these folks are just one um, you know, one accident, one illness away from bankruptcy. And that also causes stress on families as well. Uh, Johanna, uh, quickly on housing, and then I want to turn to another topic before we run out of time. Okay. Um, I would say, I mean, we have a, de a U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. We need to look at what are, the, what are we doing in our cities? Are we providing incentives for people who work in our communities? I know in New Haven they have something called teacher housing. It's very difficult to be attractive and offer someone a job when they can't find housing that's affordable to live in. We need to redevelop in some of these communities. The public housing project that I grew up in, half of it is boarded up. You know, those are units that families can live in until they can find a better place to live. And I think we really need to target federal dollars to bring back to the state of Connecticut to provide incentives and options for people to have housing that is affordable. Uh, quickly, uh, Mary, uh, Amy from Danbury is calling in. We won't have time to go to her uh, on the phone, but she wants to know your perspective on paid parental leave. How can it be implemented? 
It's really important. I think it goes along with our policies of being a humane um, society, a civil society. You know, I think when parents are able to stay with their children, I think employers benefit. Um, we also need to make sure that there's affordable child care, make sure that these child care systems are available and are affordable. You know, it's very expensive to put your chi- child in child care. We have to make sure that they're safe, make sure that there's more child care providers who have access to some of the federal programs like SNAP and making sure that we get some of those programs available into, into our child care providers and protect our kids. Jahana, how do we implement paid family leave? I think it's another one of those things where you work with employers and managers at the table saying, how do we benefit this company? You know, how do we make sure that we are retaining employees and turnover is low? And that only happens, you know, when people feel supported by their companies, they're more productive in work. So as a female, if I'm a woman and I know that I work for a company that supports me, not just as their employer, but as a family, as a community member, as a mother and are willing to support me in that, I'm more productive for my company. So again, it's back to all parties at the table trying to develop solutions that help everyone. You know, we see our unions do that all the time. I think that companies have to employ and engage, you know, at every level. We started the conversation talking about uh, why Americans want to see more bipartisanship. Can well, each of you name one Republican congressperson uh, that you would be able to work with if elected? Ah. <laughs> uh. Paul Ryan. <laughs> I think that I would be able to convince him, you know, to have, sit down and have a, <clears throat> excuse me, to sit down and have a conversation about what this looks like by the time he gets to me. Mary Glassman. No, let's see. Um, I'm open to anybody. I'm open to Democrats, Republicans. I'm open to making sure that our values are supported. And um, you know, in in Connecticut, in Simsbury, and in Connecticut, when I help work, work the Dreamers bill. It was bipartisan, and we were able to forge partnerships. So anybody who shares uh, uh, getting results. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. That always happens. Uh, but we do want to thank uh, Mary Glassman and Johanna Hayes, again, both uh, two Democratic candidates running for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. We thank you for coming you. in and answering some of our questions. Thank you for thank having you. us. Uh, today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Thanks to Kion Wolf and our digital producer, Carlos Mejia. Also, our intern, Jason Perez and Katie Tolarski. Learn more about the show, wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.